verses 6 through 8. If you're using the Pewback Bibles, it's on page 996. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Great to see you this evening. I know a lot of you are used to having handouts for the lesson. Um, I am 99% sure I printed handouts for this lesson tonight, but they have been lost in the shuffle somewhere. My fault, I'm sure, not a problem. But uh, anyway, you guys can listen to a lesson without handouts. It's okay, you can still go to heaven and do that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out what, what happened. They're probably sitting somewhere, somewhere, I don't know. Um, you know, sometimes just contemplate how many different moving parts there are to, for, for us here at Katy to conduct one worship service. It is amazing the amount of decisions and details and manpower from the guys that work in the audiovisual room to people like Joe Brewer who, who uh, helps put our uh, PowerPoint slides together and um, our, our secretaries who do a wonderful job in all that they do to help uh, get all the uh, details of the worship service together. Men like Boone Mashburn that get uh, uh, men assigned and, and make sure that they're here. Um, there's just a lot that happens. And it's amazing more doesn't go wrong than actually does uh, from time to time, uh, given, given the number of things that we take care of. But we're very thankful for everybody that has a part in our worship services. And we're thankful for the service that you do. It's spiritual service, you know, even though we're talking about you know, what we might call mundane things, you know, figuring out who's going to lead the opening prayer, things like that. There's still spiritual things and they edify the church. And we're thankful to God for, for people who are involved in that service. Open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 8 this evening. 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8. The title of the sermon is Finishing the Race. It is connected to the sermon that we preached this morning. What is your life? Those are two questions, those are two thoughts that need to occupy our minds more. Number one, what is my life? It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. But then number two, what does it look like to finish the race and especially to finish the race well? And just because some people start the race of following God, of serving Jesus Christ does not mean they're going to finish. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to finish well. And when you read the book of 2 Timothy, you are reading something like Paul's last will and testament. There are four chapters in this short book. And one of the things that Paul is doing as he writes from prison in Rome is encouraging his young child in the faith, Timothy, to be steadfast in his convictions, in his preaching, in his ministry. And he's saying to Timothy over and over, follow my example. Just to show you what, what's happening in this book, look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, what would you say to somebody? What would you say to your own child if you knew that you were gonna die very soon and you wanted them to be strong in the faith and you wanted them to hold on to Jesus Christ more than anything else? Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, hold fast, Timothy, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, all those in Asia have turned away from me. And he goes on, 
on and says, the Lord grant mercy to them. When we think about what's happening in Paul's life, he's saying, he's saying, Timothy, I want to be an example to you. I am a model, a mentor for you. And I want you to follow my example. Turn over to 2 Timothy 3 and look at verse 10. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. You, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That's where Timothy's from, by the way. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And then he goes on and tells Timothy in verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So he's encouraging Timothy to hold on to his faith, to not give up, to finish well. Because Paul is at the end of his race, he's at the end of his life, and he wants to impart some encouraging and inspired words to this young man. Again, when you look at 2 Timothy 4, I want you to look at verse 5. He's giving some final parting instructions to Timothy about his ministry. And 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, he says, you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then you see the connecting word in verse 6, for. You have it there in your Bible? For I am already being poured out. Why is he going to talk about himself in verses 6 through 8? Because he's showing Timothy what it looks like to endure afflictions and to finish and fulfill one's ministry. And so what we're reading in 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8 is a picture of what it looks like to finish the race well. With that in mind, let's look at these verses specifically tonight and let's talk about what Paul says finishing well looks like. Let's read them together first. Starting in verse six, Paul writes, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's about to die and he's talking about his present circumstances in verse six. If you like taking notes, you can write down present. Then in verse seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Notice in verse seven, he's talking about the past. And then in verse eight, he talks about the future. Finally, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. As he thinks about finishing the race, as he thinks about the end of his life, he talks about his present, verse 6, he talks about his past, verse 7, and he talks about his future, verse 8. That's our outline for the lesson this evening. Let's talk first of all as we think about finishing our race well. Let's think about the present in the first place. Notice a couple of words that he uses. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. You see that word time? It's a word in Greek that has to do with chronology. It has to do with a time, uh, the, the actual time on the clock, if you will. And the time that Paul is contemplating here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, is the close of his life. You know, there are other places in the Bible where Paul was on trial and might have been executed, but he was anticipating that he was going to be released. For example, Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Paul was thinking he was probably going to be released from that imprisonment, but now he's in a different imprisonment, and now he knows, I'm not going to escape this one. I'm not going to be released and continue to bear fruit. 
And so you see this word time being brought up over and over in 2 Timothy. For example, there's going to come a time in the latter times when people depart from the faith, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, or when people turn away from the truth and have itching ears, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. He's thinking about the time of his life, the close of his life. And then he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And that expression may not mean a great deal to us living in Katy, Texas in 2022, but to the people that had a Jewish background, people like Timothy who had grown up with a Jewish family, this meant a great deal because Timothy had seen sacrifices. And there was a drink offering that was offered after the conclusion of a sacrifice. It was the final act. I've got one reference there on the screen behind me, Numbers 15, verse 24. The idea of a drink offering was you would sacrifice a lamb. And this was to make atonement for one's sins, to ask for forgiveness and to provide a sacrifice that could atone for sin. And then you would take a glass, a cup of wine and you would pour it out on the sacrifice. This was the last, maybe you wanna say exclamation point on the sacrifice that's being made. And Paul talks about his own life and here's what he's saying. In my own life, I am that final exclamation point on the sacrifice. He's saying, I am being poured out. And people have thought about what that might mean in Paul's life because one of the things that's been brought up is that Paul was a Roman citizen and he was not going to be crucified. Roman citizens weren't crucified. They didn't do that. The Romans didn't. And so what, you, what, what would have happened to Paul was he would have probably been beheaded. That's what tradition holds. And so Paul is about to shed his blood for Jesus' sake the one who had already shed his blood for Paul. As you think about the present in Paul's life, as you think about what he says about being poured out, everything about his life was about him being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and then finally as he sees his death impending, an actual sacrifice where he's giving his life for the sake of the Lord. He's thinking about what's happening in his present circumstances. Notice another term, the term departure. It's the Greek word analusis. The time of my departure is at hand. What's he talking about there in verse six when he says the time of my departure is at hand? He's talking about his death. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He's talking about his death, but he uses a euphemism. And it's interesting to think about the way this word was used in ancient times. The word departure was used to describe the unyoking of an animal from a plow or a cart. If you'd been working all day in the field and you finally took the yoke off, Paul was about to lay his burdens down. As you think about what death means for a Christian, when we die, we finally lay our burdens down, don't we? It's an unloosing. Again, the word departure has to do with the loosing of chains or bonds, things that have held us captive, things that have kept us. The time of my departure, the time of loosing my chains or my bonds, being set free is at hand. How did Paul describe death with this word? He describes it as, and the word was used to describe pulling up stakes from a tent. When you'd go and you'd spend time as a nomad and your, your tent, it was time to move, you pull up stakes. Paul says, that's what happens to me when I die. The time of my departure, my analysis is at hand. And again, it has to do with the loosing of the ropes 
of a ship from its moorings. I'm about to set sail for a different country, for a different place, a heavenly country. As Paul talks about death, it's insightful the word he uses, the time of my loosing, my being set free, my unyoking, that time is at hand. You know, the Bible describes death as an enemy, 1 Corinthians 15. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. And yet, in another sense, the Bible describes death as being set free and finally being able to be at rest and finally setting sail. The Bible describes it that way as well. In Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, the Bible describes this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a much heavier, a much more exceeding and eternal weight of glory in us. And again, Romans 8, 18 says much the same thing. It says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so as Paul thinks about what's about to happen to him, he's going to go before Caesar and he's going to be executed. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. It's the loosing of the ropes that moor a ship. It's the unyoking of an animal from a plower cart. You know, when we think about our present, when we think about the time that God has given us, many of these verses we talked about in this morning's lesson as well, teach us God to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12. Remember how short my time is. Psalm 89 verse 47. And again, the last words of Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46. As Paul thinks about his present, he's showing us what it looks like to finish well. Second this evening, look at verse 7. What does Paul say about his past? I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I suspect if you know any verse out of 2 Timothy, it's probably that one. Or if you don't know that one, you probably know 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Famous words, and really they are in lots of ways famous last words. But as you look at Paul's past, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Think about the metaphors that are being used. He talks about boxing, fighting the good fight. He talks about running, I finished the course. And he talks about holding on to something that's really important, I've kept, I've held on to, I've not let loose of, and I have not done dishonor to the faith. He uses in this verse, in these three expressions, a lot of different ways to talk about what it meant for him to live the Christian life. And as you look at this verse, even though there are three expressions, I want you to notice that there are actually five there are actually five reasons for us, and they're Paul's reasons as well, to keep on going in our ministry, in our work. All of us as Christians, five reasons, here they are. Reason number one, why should I keep going in the ministry of serving and following and being faithful to Jesus Christ? Because number one, Christianity involves struggle. I have fought a good fight. Christianity is not just an easy comfortable lifestyle for everyone. And if it's always that way for us, probably something's wrong. Paul says, my Christianity, my faithfulness to Jesus has been a struggle. This is a man who stood before people like Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Roman officials, and he's about to stand before Caesar. This is a man who's been in chains and in prisons and in shipwrecks. He's been beaten and left for dead. He's been stoned and left for dead. 
Paul has been through struggle and he says, this is the price of serving Jesus. I'm gonna keep going because this is what faithfulness to him is all about. It involves struggle. I have fought the good fight. First Timothy four, verse 10, to this end we labor and strive, the Bible says, talking about our ministry and faithfulness to Jesus. This is work. He talks about Epaphras in Colossians chapter four, verse 12. Epaphras who labored night and day, wearisome, toilsome labor in the service to his master, to Jesus Christ, for the sake of his people, the church. Christianity, brothers and sisters, involves struggle. Don't let anybody tell you or imply to you otherwise. Secondly, reasons to keep going in our, in our service to Jesus, an undying sense of dedication to God. Notice he says, I have fought the good fight. A lot of Christians fight, but they don't fight the good fight. There are fights and battles and challenges that the Lord expects us to stand up and be part of. But I'll tell you something, there are a lot of challenges and battles that are better left alone. Learn to pick your battles wisely because if you don't, all you'll ever do is be fighting. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the sons of God, Matthew 5 verse 9. Paul says, I've got an undying sense of dedication to God. When Paul stood up, when he had a backbone, when he had conviction, it was because of his dedication and his devotion to his father. You and I need to fight the good fight. Don't just fight any fight. Don't just get involved just because somebody says something offhanded. Make sure that the fight you're fighting is a good one. Third, reasons to keep going as you look at verse seven, because self-discipline is needed to finish the race. Acts 20, verse 24, just put your finger there in 2 Timothy 4 and turn over to Acts 20 and look at verse 24. As Paul meets with the Ephesian elders and he's saying some farewell words to them at an earlier time in his life, he says some things to them that remind them that he's been an example to them as well. In, 2, excuse me, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, here's what he says. The Holy Spirit, verse 23, is testifying in every city that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, Acts 20, 24, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here is a man who is all about running a race and it requires self-discipline to stay on course, to not be distracted by worldly things, to not be distracted by all kinds of lesser things, but to run the race and to run it with joy. That's what Paul was all about. And he realized that self-discipline was needed, self-control. We can become consumed by a lot of things. We can become consumed by the desire for pleasures and all kinds of comforts in life, but we can also become consumed, brothers and sisters, by worry and by anxiety and by stress. We can become consumed by those things as well. And we can end up getting off course and leaving the race without some self-discipline in our lives. Look, if you would, just down as you're looking back at 2 Timothy, look at chapter 4, verse 10. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. I don't believe it's a coincidence that this passage is so close to what Paul's saying in verse 7. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, Demas, that was a Christian brother, has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he's departed for Thessalonica. Demas has forsaken me. What was wrong with Demas? Demas didn't have the self-discipline that was needed to finish the race. 
Reasons to keep going in our service to Jesus Christ. Number four, because we treasure time and opportunities in ministry. I have kept the faith. You know, there are a couple of different ideas about what that expression means, I've kept the faith. It can mean I have been faithful personally to Jesus Christ. It can mean that. More likely what it means is he's talking about the faith, the objective body of truth. The gospel, the message that's been delivered once for all to the saints, Jude verse 3. I have held on to the faith and I have not compromised the scripture. I've not compromised the message that I've received from God, the gospel that Jesus has entrusted me with. And I've been given so many opportunities and so many different ways to serve Jesus Christ in my ministry. I'm thankful for those things. You and I, wherever we are in life, we ought to be looking for opportunities. Even in our challenges and difficulties, where is there an opportunity to serve the Lord? Treasure those things. Why should I be faithful to Jesus Christ? Because we realize what God has entrusted to us. His word, the faith. Again, in 1 Timothy 6, 14, if you just back up one book, Paul says, O Timothy, guard, hold on to, be faithful to that which is entrusted to you, verse 20. And in verse 14, keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. We realize what God has given us, has entrusted to us. God's given us something valuable. It is a message that is divine in origin. It is a book like no other, the Bible is. And if we want to serve and be faithful to Jesus Christ, we ought to realize the preciousness of the message that we've been given. We sometimes sing into our hands, the gospel is given. Haste let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the right. Now look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Paul's talked about his present in verse 6. He's talked about his past in verse 7. And now, in the face of his death, he talks about the future. You ever wonder what happens when we die? What happens when you close your eyes for the last time, your heart stops beating? You ever wonder what happens? The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about that experience, but it does tell us some things. And 2 Timothy 4, verse 8 gives us some insight. There is a future when we leave this world. Listen to what Paul says about his future. He says, henceforth or finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Let's just stop right there. What's gonna happen to Paul? What does he anticipate when he dies? He anticipates that there is going to be a crown for him. And the word, the phrase is a crown of righteousness. A couple of different ways this expression may be intended. It may be intended to talk about the righteousness that we receive because of the forgiveness of our sins. That is to say, when God removes our sins from us, finally, the crown of righteousness is given to Paul and there's never gonna be any more sin in his life. There's never more, any more need for God to cleanse him of his sin, a crown of righteousness in that sense. It also could mean the crown of righteousness, it's a crown given to those who are righteous, to those who are the saints to those who have been washed and cleansed from the, from the sins in their lives by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word is stephanos. There are two different words for crown in the ancient Greek. One is diadem, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's a crown that a king would wear. 
That's not what Paul's talking about. He says, henceforth is a Stephanos. That's a victor's crown. Somebody who has run the race and won. In the ancient Olympics, that's what they gave the winners of a race. You didn't get a gold medal or a silver or bronze. You got a crown, a Stephanos. And that's the kind of crown Paul's anticipating. You know, there are other kinds of crowns that are mentioned that are waiting for us. And I suspect they're all somewhat the, the same, but, but listen to what's being said in the New Testament and other places. James 1.12 says, when we persevere, we will receive a crown of life, which the Lord gives to those who love him. Again, in 1 Peter 5 verse 4, elders who serve well will receive a crown of glory. It's interesting that there are special rewards that are spoken of for those who serve well as shepherds, as elders in the Lord's church. And again, Paul talked about his brethren in, in Thessalonica. And he said, you, brethren, are our glory and our crown. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, our crown. So the people that Paul had taught and converted, those people, he said, you're a crown for me. And then when you get to Revelation chapter four, as there's that great scene of God on his throne, seated high and lifted up, the Bible says that the elders and the creatures, everybody lays their crowns down at God's feet. Revelation four, verse nine. But Paul says what I'm looking forward to, 2 Timothy four, verse eight, when I think about my future is the crown of righteousness. And notice what he goes on to say. The crown has some properties which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me at that day. It is laid up, laid up for me, carefully guarded and safely stored. And then it goes on to say that there is a time in which this will be given, that day. When you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, chapter 1 verse 18, and chapter 4 verse 8. There are references in this book to that day. He's thinking about the day, the day in which God will judge the world in righteousness. Acts chapter 17 verse 31. When will I receive the crown? On that day. And he goes on and says, it's not just for me. The crown is for all who have loved his appearing. You see that? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the Lord, the righteous judge who makes no mistakes is going to give me a crown on that day, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. When we love and serve Jesus Christ, there's a crown for us. It's reserved, it's laid up in a secure place, it's stored, waiting to be given on that day. Somebody says, what happens when you die? Well, I know one thing. When we die, we go to await the day. The day in which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give a crown of righteousness to everyone who has loved his appearing, who has longed for his return. That's a wonderful, hopeful thing, isn't it, to think about? And you think about all the things Paul could have brought up and all the things that inspiration could have said about death and about the future. But this is what Paul chooses to focus on and to think about. Finishing his race and finishing well. I say to you tonight... I believe that Paul is not only a model for Timothy, he's a model for us. Having a proper perspective about what it means to finish the race that we're running and what it means even to cross through the gates of death and into eternity. The Bible sheds enough light for us to have hope and to have confidence and to be ready and able and willing to serve Jesus Christ and to continue running the good race, fighting the good fight in our lives. 
based on the promises that God makes in his word, there is no reason for any of us to want to give up. There's no reason for any of us to want to, like Demas, forsake the Lord, having loved this present world. How about you and how you're running your race? Have you thought about the promises that God makes? Have you thought about the great, the great principles that are found in scripture? Have you thought about the encouragement that God gives us? Because it's all over in his word. Be faithful to the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight, you need to respond to heaven's invitation. Maybe you need to respond and ask for prayers. Or maybe you need to be baptized because you realize that that's how you become a Christian. If you're ready to make one of those decisions, or you need to make something public known, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?